Hi, welcome to uh, What's That Noise? Uh, Al Coons and, and Tom Cook joining you uh, jo- joining you on a Saturday after, uh, I mean, the world has changed, really. There's no other way of, of phrasing it. The world has changed drastically. And we know what our content is usually. Our, our content is usually bringing in a guest to explore what confusion is. This time around, we of course, have our own thoughts and feelings on what's going on in Ukraine and and what Russia has done. And we have some thoughts that personally we need to address. But also on top of that, we want to make sure that we get into beyond just confusing what is some, some solid steps that we can take to make sure that we, even though we are confused about it, can at least take some solid steps and, and make a foundation for things that we can do to help what's going on. Exactly. We're we're interrupting our, our regular programming to try to do something a little bit different. And as, as, as Al said, it's not about reflecting on what's confusing in the world. We, we don't really want to spend any of your time talking about why we think Putin is doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. We don't want to spend any time speculating about global politics. Mm-hmm. We wanted to take advantage of today to count our blessings and to see if there's anything that we can do to clear confusion a little bit mm-hmm. so that we as Canadians who are very lucky can try to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that, uh, the, the way that you said that. I, I know that uh, Minister Freeland uh, referred to it as kind of stepping away from our rules-based diplomacy. And I thought that was, you know, really helped me understand and get rid of some of the confusion as well because one of the things we're, we're that happens in a situation like that is we say, wait, wait, wait a second. That's not fair. That's not what we're doing. You you can't do that. We're supposed to talk about things first, right? And uh, when we feel as, uh, from Western society that we have tried to talk and nobody was listening and all of a sudden this invasion happens, it feels confusing and unfair. Why would somebody act like that? But I think more to your point is, this importance of saying, okay, well, we are very lucky where we are, that we we are able to go out in, in relative safety and be able to do things in relative safety. And um, yeah, there, there are maybe steps that we can take to make sure that we, uh, steps that we can take to make sure that people do feel uh, in, in Ukraine, like we're thinking about them, that we want to help take care of them. There's obviously nothing we can do to make this insurgence go away, but there are some things that we can do to make sure that uh, Ukrainian people know mm-hmm. uh, that that we are kind of on their side, if that's the right term to, to use, and want to help support Ukraine. We care. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are deeply affected by, by what's taking place. Mm-hmm. My wife is Romanian. Geographically, family that's literally right in 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 a very scary spot. Yeah, her aunt can see the Ukrainian border from where she lives Jeez. on a clear day. We're all connected together. There's a lot of people in our community, many of our neighbors that come from the eastern part of the continent, who have been through some awful, awful stuff. And I think it's important to let those people know that we care about them, mm-hmm. and it's important to let people know as you said far better than I can right now uh, in Ukraine that we we really care and we're trying to figure out if there's a way that we can help. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about some of the ways that people around the world have been coming up with lists and items that we can act on, even though we don't live in Ukraine or mm-hmm. near it, so that we can try to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And some of that looks like donating money. Mm-hmm. Some of that looks like 
getting the right information and dealing with disinformation. Right. Which is oh a my big, goodness. big topic. Yeah. And there's a couple other things that, that we'll talk about, but I, I wonder if, if we should just take a, a couple quick minutes just to give uh, a little bit of our thought or our feelings mm-hmm. on, on what's been taking place. Yeah. I don't want to bypass that because I, I recognize as we we mentioned at the beginning of, of the chat all that there is a lot of confusion here. Yes. I don't want to resist the confusion. Uh, I, I want to acknowledge it because I admit that I'm having a really difficult time with this. I've been very emotional since this has started. It's really, really affected my wife and her family. I don't want to speculate about Putin. I don't care. Like there's enough people in the world doing that right now. Mm-hmm. I just want to get to talking about how and whether we can actually help because mm-hmm. that is really confusing to me. But could you just take a minute and and share with people how you've been feeling, what you've been thinking about, what's going on in your your head and your heart, man? Sure, and and I think I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is it's impossible not to get rid of the rhetoric of any time this area of the world has gone to war, and historically, it's impossible not to start envisioning the horrific situations of the First World War and the Second World War. It's just impossible not to. Even though you can sit there and bombard me with all of the information of people saying, well, yeah, but it's different because it's different because it's different. No, 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 I I appreciate that it's different because, but it's impossible not to get get locked into into that storyline as well. So I think uh, uh, that's certainly one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to recognize uh, over and over again, that a lot of the fear, if you sit down to sit with the fear and actually analyze where the fear is coming from, it may be those historical ties to to what's happened in the past of of, of huge great wars that has had Canada and United States involvement, right? Um, and so I, it was interesting because as soon as this happened, uh, of course, you know, we we all tried. I don't want to say we tried to make light of it. That's certainly not what I meant. Um, but I think that there's a tendency to try to get humor. I, I don't think that there's a, a, a single person who's watched Seinfeld that when they saw what was going on, didn't try to kind of blast a little bit of humor from the, the scene when, uh, uh, in Seinfeld, when, uh, uh, Kramer is playing risk and talks about the Ukraine being weak. And then there's a Ukrainian man on the subway who says, Ukraine is not weak. And and I don't think that there's a single person who tried, tried to didn't deflect some of their feelings with humor with, with some of those lines. But I also, I, I also think it's important to sit there and try to analyze what is causing the fear. What is the discomfort with it? And a lot of it is number one, it's a global war, um, uh, a, a global war a machine like the Russia, like Russia, going into Ukraine, and um, there is some form of a sense of responsibility for for people in the Western world who do look and say we're very privileged right now. How do we help? Um, does that look like war? Does that look like us joining the war? Does that look like NATO forces? Does that look like United Nations forces? Does it look like EU forces? What like what what, what do we do physically to stand up for for Ukraine right now? There's certainly economic sanctions that are being thrown in, and those are confusing. I think just sitting with what's making you feel uncomfortable and recognizing there's very little you as an individual will do short of uh, uh, sanctions and and things like that, that we're we're actually going to get involved with, recognizing that we're in a safe spot, that we have a government that has said, 
We're not interested in getting involved in a war right now. However, we want to help Ukraine. Uh, things like that kind of started to talk me down a little bit, if that makes sense, to, to recognize this is a horrible and horrific thing that realistically we can only help through our wallets right now. Uh, which sounds like a shallow thing yeah. to say, right? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what my journey has been over the last little while. Is it's gone from okay, I don't want to take this seriously to okay, crap, this is this is really freaking serious. To all right, well, well then, what can I do and recognize the powerlessness yeah. uh, that I have and and just trying to make some concrete steps. How about you? Like you 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 and uh, you and your wife, you guys have had some some really kind of heavy conversations over the last little while. Um, I think more. More to the point, what what are you guys thinking? What are you guys seeing right now? I'm not going to speak on behalf of my wife because yeah. she's from Romania. She grew up under one-party communism. Mm -hmm. And it completely changed their lives. Mm -hmm. Friends and family members disappeared mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I sit down and I have these conversations with my father and mother-in-law, Nettie and Gabriel, whenever we can. And uh, it's really sobering, man. It, it mm -hmm. really wakes you up to how lucky you are. Mm -hmm. And so when I see my wife watching the TV uh, and think about her, her aunt and family friends that are, you know, have lives that extend way past any border, um, it's hard for me to understand what she's feeling. And I know it's been deeply affecting her. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I hope that we have, we will have opportunities to talk to her about this, maybe even on the show. But um, what I what I can say for myself is that uh, being trained and in, in having lectured at the undergraduate level in political science and sociology for so many years now, it's hard for me to not look at the double standards. Mm hmm yeah. And, and uh, I know as well, I mean, even when it comes to sanctions, you, uh, there's a lot of countries that are kind of dragging their heels with sanctions because they say, well, how come economically we need to suffer? And there's a lot of a lot of discourse about the extent to which sanctions actually work. Most people are saying it doesn't really matter. Unless you cut Russia out of SWIFT, it's really not going to make a, a significant impact. But then even if you do, who suffers? Right. Russian people suffer. Right. Ukrainian people suffer. People right. all over that part of the world end up suffering. The people who hurt the most from this are always going to be civilians. Right. Ukrainian it, it, civilians first <laughs> and everybody else around the border, but Russian people are going to pay for this. It, it, it's not like, yeah, we put in these sanctions and Russia's economy tanks and mm -hmm. Putin is the one that goes hungry, right? It's yeah. not like that's, the, that's yeah. what happens, and, you know, right? And so it, th this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm trying to express and I admit that I'm having difficulty doing it. This is the kind of stuff I don't want to talk about anymore. Mm. My opinion on this is irrelevant. Your opinion, sorry, it really is irrelevant. No, absolutely. Nobody, nobody cares 100%. what you and I think. No. I, I, this isn't the time and place for it. What we want to do today is figure out whether or not we can actually help. This is the confusion that I've been wrestling with for days. As a Canadian, as a privileged white man in London, Ontario, Canada, can can me, you know, my family and my friends and my wife and you, my, my dear friend Al Coombs, can we actually do something to help? Mm -hmm. That's what I want to figure out. But part of that requires addressing the question of, like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Can a Canadian do anything yeah. that would actually help people in Ukraine right now? The the, the one thing, uh, and and before we get into kind of the different things that we can do, that we can actually do to help uh, in the concrete things, I think one of the things that we we 
definitely need to do is if you know a friend who is Russian, if you know a friend who is who has a background that is Russian, you know, they may not be born there, but their parents may or their grandparents may, please don't demonize them. This is an awful thing that has happened, but this is also a Russian regime. This is not necessarily reflecting the thoughts and views of every Russian. So can we please, if you, like, let's not get right into, oh, you're Russian. And we saw this, uh, we saw this most, uh, most recently. Yes. We when there, this, there yeah. was, a, a, you know, uh, uh, when, when there were conflicts in Afghanistan and, and Iraq and everything that I remember having conversations with people saying, I'm scared to tell people that I'm from Afghanistan, or I'm scared to tell people that I'm from, uh, from this part of the world because I don't want the hatred to turn. Let's please let, let's recognize that this is a political decision by a Russian regime, not the people of Russia. It's a really, really important distinction to make. And I'm really grateful that you made that one. The thing that I want to discuss in terms of moving into this question of like whether or not action makes sense is symbolism. Mm. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is because for a long time, I've recognized that Sitting on social media, tweeting, even doing a podcast. What does that mean? What does right. it mean if I were to feels, put a, yeah, feels a Ukrainian like, right? flag yeah. up on, on our, our What's That Noise Twitter profile mm -hmm. instead of the logo of the show? Mm -hmm. What does that do? Mm -hmm. like, like, sure, it's going to show solidarity. I, I'm sure the alignment for, for people who are suffering right now when they see that, I'm sure it helps. But it, it's very cheap. It's right. easy. I, I I can literally hit pause. No, I can, don't even need to hit pause. I can just literally pull up a web browser and change the logo, and it would take fifteen seconds. Yeah, or or put up hashtag pray for Ukraine on our Insta feed. Yeah, and <laughs> and say all glory, right, glory no, for Ukraine. Yeah, yeah like these we've done that. We've done it. <laughs> sure, the hashtags draw attention, but I mean, the the thing that I've been wrestling with a little bit today, especially before you came over, I've been sitting here with my coffee, and I've, I've been kind of fretting like. I don't want to, I don't want to perpetuate a message that using hashtags and putting up the right image actually is going to help people. It right. doesn't. Like I said, I, I think for some people, uh, seeing that solidarity helps, but I'm talking about tangible pragmatic action. Mm -hmm. And so what, what we've done over the last 24 hours or so is we've tried to look at how different people around the world are talking about those tangible, practical mm -hmm. ways to actually help. Mm -hmm. And one of the big areas is to donate. So what we're going to do for the rest of the episode is we're going to move through a couple different categories of things that journalists and news sources, and politicians and civil society folk around the globe have been trying to share online mm -hmm. to encourage people into an action that might have a little bit more traction than just using a hashtag changing your photo in a profile picture. I know from from having a radio career, I know uh, dealing with different disasters that people often get confused with what does a dollar actually do? Why am I giving money? Are you buying guns with it? Like, what are you actually doing? What we have to recognize, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than even you are, Tommy, obviously. And, and so in my mind, I picture MASH, the, the TV show MASH and the field hospitals that had to be run and, and things like that, that, that quite literally help the people that are most affected, but need dollars in order for them to function. 
type type thing, right? Like the the uh, in that particular show, the American government had to put money into building field hospitals to to help things. And so I think what happens a lot of times is people say, "Why am I going to donate ten bucks? Like, what am I?" Am I going to buy bullets for Ukraine? Like, what is that? What, what am I actually doing? And we're, we're kind of taking the opposite approach is saying, if you were to donate or do something, what actually is is that that money going to do? And so something along the lines of of the Canada Ukraine Foundation would, would be setting up, I mean, that's a Toronto-based group that coordinates charitable aid to Ukraine. So when you look and see, okay, somebody's house literally blew up, well, they need money now to build a place for those people to live. Uh, and, and that would be, you know, quite a literal translation of dollars to somebody helping helping to uh, survive through this event. Ukraine is not a tropical place right now for you to live. So you're looking at shelter and food and, and things like that being quite literally a necessity for somebody to live. Five dollars from one person certainly seems insignificant. Mm -hmm. But if you have a hundred people who do it, even if we convince five of you, to donate five bucks each. Mm -hmm. You could be feeding a mother and a child on the Ukraine-Poland border who could really use that that help. Well, it's 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 in, um, what wasn't it, uh, Stevie Wonder during, I, I forget what, uh, um, I forget what he was raising money for, but he was on the phone with somebody and somebody said, you know, I, I've only got 10 bucks to donate and, and you know, it's not a lot. And I think Stevie Wonder just said it beautifully, said a whole lot of littles makes a lot of lots, right? And, you know, we, we don't have to be the one to, house a family. We need to be part of the group of people to house a family. Yeah, well said. That's really, really good. We have a few more organizations that we want to mention to you. One that really resonates with me is Doctors Without Borders. Mm -hmm. My family doctor worked with this organization for years before she became my family's doctor. I think doctor. a lot of doctor, doctors yeah. actually had that experience when they yeah. were young. And, yeah. And, and, and my doctor is, she's a hero to mm -hmm. me the the way that she contributed and volunteered her time selflessly in really, really dangerous parts of the world mm -hmm. to help keep people alive and provide them the medical aid that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise left a profound impact on me. So mm -hmm. this organization is one that I, I really hope that people will consider if they're going to even contribute uh, a small but important amount of money. Mm -hmm. Doctors Without Borders is a humanitarian group, as I've mentioned. They've been focusing quite a bit on COVID response in the eastern part of Europe in the last couple of years. But what they're doing right now is they're mobilizing an emergency preparedness response plan to make sure that there is access to healthcare and to make sure that medicine is available to people in Ukraine and Ukrainians that are trying to get over the border right now. Mm. Doctors Without Borders is very actively involved in all of the countries on the Ukrainian border. So if you're looking to make a direct impact to help great doctors like my family physician that are over there right now, Doctors Without Borders is a great organization to con consider contributing to. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head is some of the things that we take for granted is we're sick, all right, I got a headache, I can go to get Tylenol, or I've got a fever, I can go and get uh, Tylenol from... Oh, I probably shouldn't be using brand names, maybe uh, acetaminophen or, or something like that. Um, I, you know, we can run to the, the, the store to do that. I want you to picture all of those facilities being closed uh, when, when you start to think about what you need in order to be healthy. 
just picture a lot of those things being gone because, well, you're under attack and you're scared to go out, uh, things along those lines. Doctors Without Borders, as the name alludes, they say, well, we don't pick favorites, we go to help the people that need the help, right? And so uh, if, you're, if you're a person who has uh, ties or is maybe struggling on understanding what's going on and, and says, I don't want to pick sides, uh, that might be something that a charity that you may want to consider because they're not going to pick sides. They're going to help people who need, who need the help. Right. Uh, another one is, uh, save the, save the children, save the children is a, an international NGO delivering emergency aid to Ukrainian families. So if you're somebody that says, you know what, I want to give, but I want to make sure that a family gets it and a, that a family is, is going to be safe. Um, I, I know, uh, different groups in save the children that they said, one of the, one of the things that they love doing is just showing up with teddy bears. You know, the, p- picture a, a small family or a, a small child right now in a family that's been, uh, their house is uh, in too dangerous of a spot for them to live. And, you know, you, you've had to walk away from a lot of stuff that you would really like. And somebody says, you know what, I got you a new stuffy. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't mean the world to, to, a, to a little girl or a little boy, right? So, But it's a difference between potentially helping them stop disassociating and giving the parents, mm. the mother, because yeah. the husbands aren't there. Mm-hmm. Men between 18 and 60 are not allowed to leave the country right That's now. Right. So yeah. they're ushering, they're escorting their their moms and their their wives and their sisters and their daughters to the border. And they're saying bye. It's mm-hmm. absolutely heart-wrenching. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I, f- I feel so touched to see that so many people in Poland and Romania are are waiting at the border mm-hmm. with toys for kids. Yeah, yeah. And with food and, and drinks and everything else and clothes, shoes, all sorts of shoes lined up as soon as I get over the border crossing to make sure that they have what they need. And I think you've, you've touched on a really good point about the psychological component. There's another organization that will take donations to help support families, but more specifically for kids and their their psychological well-being, their mental well-being. Voices of Children specifically works on trying to take care of kids who are, are mentally and emotionally impacted by the conflict itself. So mm-hmm. Save the Children generally absolutely but voices of children if you're interested in or have a, a particular uh, propensity to want to think about psychological health or mental health uh, as much as you would physical health yeah one in the same um going going the other way there's been a lot of beautiful stories i can remember reading a story about an 80 year old man who um uh, brought a briefcase to join the army and uh, it was a beautiful story. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find it online if you're if you're looking for it. But Ukrainian people are a very proud group of people, very proud of their independence, very proud of of what's going uh, of um, the strides that they've made politically. Um, and uh, you, you're certainly starting to see that fighting spirit. We're hearing all sorts of different rumors, uh, uh, different stories of of uh, bravery and and people defending their areas. What um, uh, if you're looking at saying those are the the brave people that I'd I'd like to support? A wonderful charity called Phoenix Wings, and it's a charity that uh, supplies Ukrainian army with medical treatment. But then on top of that, things that you picture people needing in a fight, uh, things like defensive equipment, vests, helmets, things things along those lines. So if you're kind of wanting to f- support that fighting spirit, that's that's another organization you may want to want to look up called Phoenix Wings. Uh, the next one that that I wanted to share with everybody is uh, on a little bit more of a personal note. My wife and I don't have human babies. Right. We have children, but they're they're fur babies. We have two <laughs> yeah. beautiful cats and, and two wonderful dogs, and and they are our kids. 
there's many of you listening that have that same sort of, I can't even find the right words for it. It's a bond that you have that I would imagine that a parent would feel for their human, human children. If you are interested in the well-being of animals, pets that have been left behind, there is an organization that's thinking about this. And they're called Shelter Ugoliuk. And I, I sincerely apologize. I've definitely not pronounced that properly. Maybe spelling it. Let's spell yeah. it. <laughs> U-G-O-L-Y-O-K. All of the links for the organizations that we are talking about are in the description of the show today. But Shelter Ugoliuk, I learned about through my wife, Christina. She has family friends that own an animal sanctuary close to the border in Romania. And they let my in-laws know and my wife know about Shelter Ugoliuk. They are a rescue, they are a farm, they're a sanctuary in Ukraine that is seeking donations to take care of animals that are certainly going to be left behind as this awful crisis continues to unfold out. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that uh, Russia is unfortunately, um, a, a lot of Russian people, I, I think, are, are stigmatized with is a lot of the stances on the government's stance on uh, homosexuals, uh, other kind of marginalized groups as well. Um, the, I mean, anything that is progressive, kind of, unfortunately, the, 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 the Russian government has kind of branded the people as being kind of anti uh, anti-progressive. Uh, there is a there is a group called Outright Action International, and it's geared to help marginalized people uh, that are often very much exposed in a, in a crisis. Uh, you look if if you are, for example, a homosexual, and you had to kind of keep that closeted, and all of a sudden now people are saying, "Well, geez, I can't help you. You're you're going to get us in more trouble." Things along those lines. Uh, the, the group Outright Action International is uh, geared towards helping those people as well. There will be members of the LGBTQ2 plus community mm -hmm. all across Ukraine and in Russia who have been extremely vocal, but they are certainly going to be left to the margins as if they aren't already marginalized right, by yeah. that awful regime. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that one mm -hmm. on the list. Al, why don't we shift gears a little bit? Yeah. There are so many wonderful organizations. Why don't we talk a little bit about something else that I think Canadians could be doing? Any listener, really, anywhere right. on the planet listening to us right now. And that has to deal with uh, fighting disinformation. It, this this is one obviously near and dear to my heart here because mm -hmm. uh, having been in the media for, for I mean, 15, 20 years, you, you, you look at the difficulty right now in finding solid information. And it comes from both sides, quite frankly, right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to be reading stories of people who are telling these heroic tales of, of pure and sheer propaganda from Ukrainian side. And you, you want to believe that. Um, then you, you, you look over and of course, anybody who wants to bias themselves with, with the, the Russian side will be able to, to find information to help them do that. My best advice is those are great reading, reading propaganda. Sure, it will give you the sisboomba that you need, but just recognize that anybody who puts something up on Twitter, especially or Facebook or mm -hmm. something along those lines, um, may have a bias that they're putting in there if it's a personal story. Um, you just be careful of, of what you're reading about. If it's a personal story, don't take it as gospel right away. I think it's important to be skeptical. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I hesitate to even say that because I think there is a really, really unhealthy amount of unjust skepticism that we've been seeing in populist movements as demonstrated in Ottawa, as we saw in Jan 6, Capitol Hill last year. The, the disavowal of science and truth and, and uh, you know, professional knowledge mm-hmm. to try and help make society a little bit more responsible and a little healthier. Right. That That's not the kind of skepticism I'm talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, we, we, we've got to draw that line between calling anything that's mainstream fake news while at the same time recognizing that th- there's an easy bias from, I mean, you're not going to hear Russians perspective by, uh, by yeah. NBC, right? right. <laughs> you're just not right. So, so, uh, I, I think that it's important, like you said, to read anything with a degree of skepticism, recognize a bias that's coming in. Um, and, uh, uh, you and I often talk about the, the different impersonations of news and politicians, just because a meme came up accredited to somebody you like, does not mean a that they said it or b that they should yeah. be the voice of reason in anything that's come out. You know, I always laugh when people put up on on uh, Instagram or or anything along those lines. You know, a really powerful quote and attribute it to Will Smith, and I think you know I love the guy. He's the Fresh Prince, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the guy that I want advocating for my mental health or or anything along those lines, right? So please just be careful of impersonations or anything that comes up in a quick flash meme or something along those lines. As as understanding it as an absolute truth, any 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 news agency that comes out. Uh, Make sure that it's a trusted source, you know, that that uh, NBC is not going to give you the Russian view, nor is a media outlet in, in Russia going to give you a Ukrainian perspective. This point on impersonation is really important. I want to give you a quick anecdote because I came across something this morning that really shocked me. Mm. I'm not really surprised that I saw it, but it was still really disturbing. I was flipping through some social media posts mm-hmm. and there was a response to a post that showed uh, a bomb exploding or a missile hitting a building in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And people were were shocked and upset as they would be. And one of the responses about halfway down, Al, was of a a teacher who says they're a Ukrainian teacher. And they literally said this in the post, I'm a Ukrainian teacher, things are horrible. Uh, The best way that you can help us is by donating. And they provided a link uh, to donate cryptocurrency. Hmm. And I sat back and I said to myself, what's going on here? Is this a Ukrainian teacher that's looking for me to donate cryptocurrency to her? Or is it to an organization in Ukraine? And and what I did was I went back to the post and I looked at it and I squinted a little bit more and what I realized was that it was completely fake. Oh, the, yeah. The, the profile itself was completely not legitimate. Go, you, you go on there and they've, yeah. they've got four posts. And, yes, they, yeah, four, yeah, four posts. Yeah. The account was created like yesterday. Uh, they have no followers. Right. They're not following anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're clearly just surfing across hashtags to get to key content. And then when you open up the link to make a donation, it, it wasn't to an organization right. or a school or to the teacher right. themselves. It was actually to just a bank account. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of uh, impersonation, impersonation and trickery 
that's going on right now, I think it's really disgusting and vile that people would go to that length. Yeah. But it's it's prominent. It's all over the place. The, so just have a heads up. The, the the other, it's in the similar vein that I'm curious your thoughts about is, and, and I'm not demonizing, please do not think that I'm demonizing. I love their ice cream. Uh, it would just happen to be the last one that I saw. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, Chapman's Ice Cream announcing that they're going to donate $50,000 to the uh, Ukrainian Canada uh, Foundation. I look and I say, great, good for them. Uh, th that's wonderful. And, and I mean that. I'm not being sarcastic, facetious, anything along those lines. Uh, and then encouraging us to do the same. I thought that was great. But there will be a group, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm second-doubting motives for anybody, but there will be a group who does say, hey, we're donating a zillion dollars to... Canadian, Ukrainian, we want you to do that too. And it's solely based for branding. Do you think that that's a bad thing? Or do you, and again, I know we said we weren't going to do this, but I am curious, like, just because you have a lot more influence on social media than I do. Um, Which is essentially zero. <laughs> well, well uh, maybe influence is the wrong, isn't the right word, but uh, uh, at least uh, uh, you, you at least have more, more background for it. But when, when you, when you see that, like, how do we take that when when we know that there is a group that has little to no Ukrainian background yeah. that wants to use this solely as branding to say, hey, we're the good guys, but at the same time, they're donating X number of thousands of dollars. It's great news and encouraging the, the word to get out. This is a really good question, and it's one that's difficult to answer. So all I can do is give my 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 very like idiosyncratic way of thinking yeah, about yeah. it. And, and the way I approach it is this. We all have agency. We all have power to act, whether it's donating or fighting disinformation so that, you know, you don't perpetuate a, 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 a mistruth, a half-truth, a false accuracy mm -hmm. uh, at the dinner table, which can then spiral in a really, really nasty way. You have action in the sense that the little things that you do, as you talked about a second ago, Al, can really add up. Mm -hmm. So that means that you matter and your ethics matter, mm -hmm. not you know, somebody else on the other side of planet's ethics. Don't worry about Chapman's ethics. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about like appealing to some sort of universal moral framework. <laughs> right. I'm talking about your perception <laughs> of what's right and wrong. Right. And that's a struggle. That mm -hmm. is not easy to do. It is mm -hmm. very, very difficult to have an honest, candid conversation with yourself about what is right and what is wrong in the world. And right. all of it's going to be biased. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, there are a lot of people that are probably looking at Chapman's and saying, you know, Al, I like the way you're thinking about this. Mm -hmm. There, There is something really self-serving about uh, announcing to the world and social media that you donated 50 grand. Right. Because then some of those people are probably going to look into what's the actual annual re revenue of a company like that. Right. And then deduce that what they actually donated was a fraction of a percent. Mm -hmm. And and that would be like the equivalent of someone who makes 100 grand a year donating 50 cents. Right. So, yeah, there's politics there. Absolutely. And I, I would, I wouldn't disagree with those people, but then there's another side of this. The other ethical side, depending on who you're talking to is going to saying, well, that's 50 grand more than they didn't have before. Well, so, and, and this is, this is where I sit on it. And, and again, I'm completely biased because I love Chapman's ice cream and, and I'm, I, I should be very, very clear that I'm not making a dime from Chapman's nor has anybody from Chapman's We're ever contacted We're not attacking anybody me. here. We're just having a yeah. conversation. Yeah. It, it, um, it, like I said, it just happened to be that I saw that tweet just before we, we started to record. And so it's just top of mind for me. That's all. Um, but 
I mean, I look and you're absolutely right. $50,000 is a lot of money, especially to a charitable group that knows how to use it uh, uh, to actually get, get that stuff on there. On top of that, Chapman's has X number of thousands of followers on Twitter who are now exposed to a way of giving that they weren't before. Um, so I, I just, a word of caution to anybody who is looking to brag on social media about their giving to any charitable organization, that there will be people that attack them on social media to say, like you said, oh, okay, well, you're a multi-billion dollar corporation. It was nice of you to give two cents. Why wasn't it a hundred thousand? Why wasn't it a million? Why wasn't it a trillion? Why don't you start your new factory in Ukraine? Why don't you, you know, things along those lines that, uh, that I would just want to caution anybody who wants to use it as a branding, that there are people now that kind of troll you a little bit, just a heads up. Yeah, absolutely. You you don't have to celebrate that you're making a donation. Mm -hmm. If you want to share that publicly, that's fine, but it doesn't need to be something that you leverage to make yourself feel better mm -hmm. through, uh, you know, the acknowledgement of other people. And, and, and even, uh, you know, making sure that you say, you know, even a line in there saying something along the lines of, I'm not doing this to brag, I'm doing this so that you will too, or we'll match your donations because we care or something along those lines. Just make sure that your motives are very clear before you before you start to really think about doing that publicly. Absolutely. And if, if trying to figure out where you want to donate your money is, is a struggle to you, um, if you're more interested in, in fighting disinformation as a way of, of helping people by avoiding uh, inaccuracies that could be really, really dangerous for relationships here or even uh, with family members overseas. One of the best ways that you can avoid this is to really pay close attention to where you're getting your information from. Now, we touched on this already with mm -hmm. social media, mm -hmm. but let's talk a little bit uh, to close things off today, Al, if you don't mind, yep. about uh, credible journalism, well, credible you, news sources. And, and you probably know the names better than I do. What what I will say from being in the media, people that we would contact, and, and again, it's impossible. If somebody wants to write you off as fake news, they're going to. There's nothing you can yeah. do to build up credibility. So uh, what I will say is for for anybody who hasn't written me off already as fake news, uh, I'm not. I've never seen a, a paycheck from Mr. Trudeau. I've never seen a, <laughs> I've never, or before him, Prime Minister Harper, I've never seen a paycheck from any of them. I'm not bot. I'm not, I'm not anything. What I would do to, what I would do in my background research is anytime I find Twitter is a little bit more reliable than Facebook or Instagram because you can get into threads and you can get a little bit more into it. If, if there's something that you are looking at and you're saying, I like this. Before you marry yourself to that thought, do a quick Google search of who the person was reporting it. Where are they? Do they have a reason to, um, so for example, uh, uh, if, if, you know, this is somebody who lives in the United States who talked to a person in Ukraine um, via, uh, uh, via some form of a phone call or a text or something like that, that's not necessarily as credible as somebody who's in Kiev right now having a conversation with the political leaders. Uh, it's not as reliable as somebody who is a war correspondent and has done war war correspondence before in the past. Um, so that that to me is is the way that you deem somebody credible is if it's somebody in the United States making phone calls to friends who they think may be involved probably not as reliable as somebody who is a trained reporter uh, on the floor in, uh, in, in a dangerous spot trying to relay information. Yeah, very well said. And, and there are indeed a number of journalists that are 
recognized as being very credible because of their uh, their reputation, the 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 way in which they've been reporting, the people that they report to, the vetting process that goes on within those organizations, the commitment to being reflexive and honest about documenting things the way that they are presented to you, mm-hmm. trying to think about audience receptivity, mm-hmm. trying to self-check for bias. There's all sorts of really important professional things mm-hmm. that these professionals do that they were professionally trained to consider. And so when you are popping onto Twitter, when you're looking at the newsfeed coming from BBC, you're going to see certain names. Olga Tukaryuk is one name that comes up quite often. Sarah Rainsford is a BBC correspondent that you might remember was expelled from <laughs> Moscow remember last that. year. Yeah. There, there's been a, a real commitment to trying to shut her opinion down. And she's recently published a book about being tossed out of Moscow hmm. for trying to push back against the propaganda. So Sarah is somebody that people should definitely be uh, paying attention to. Chris Miller is with BuzzFeed. He has spent the last 11 years in Eastern Europe Jeez. and is in Ukraine right now, as far as I understand, reporting on the ground in real time. Uh, another name that I'll, I'll mention, and of course, please look at the the extensive list that we have in the, the show comments to find out more. The last one that I want to mention is Olga Rudenko, who works at the Kiev Independent. This is somebody that is born and raised in Ukraine, has been involved actively, and has a, a particularly impressive uh, feed of updates and Twitter that I think should really help people give uh, uh, some close insight Mm -hmm. from Ukrainian national about what's taking place in Kiev right now. I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. Is that okay? Um, I kind of expect you to. Yeah, I know. (laughs) By now you should be used to me. Um, I do not see harm. And and this has always gotten me into hot water back even when I was working for, for news agencies. I do not see harm in reading thoroughly something that is your oppositional point of view. If you are, this sounds like I'm being kind of flippant, but if you are team Ukraine, if you are in and you 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 see what's going on in Ukraine and you look and you say, obviously I am wanting to support Ukraine. I do not see harm in going to Russian sources to try to understand what Russian people are being fed by way of their news. I don't. Uh, and, and again, some people may get upset with me saying, you're supporting Russia, look what Russia does. For me, it's not a matter of support, it's a matter of trying to understand. Um, uh, I, I, so, I mean, I don't, see, I don't see the harm in that in order to make a balanced opinion. Wait a second here, what is the Russian news reporting? On top of that, I think it's important if you have a Russian friend or a friend who knows something that's going on in Russia, having the conversation with them to try to understand what was it like living in Russia with, with Putin is, is what is it like the, we're seeing these mass protests. We're seeing hockey players and, and tennis players coming out saying no war, no war, no war. What, what kind of, what kind of a scary situation are they putting themselves in? Uh, uh, is this an unprecedented thing to have this many people, uh, stand up to, to Vladimir Putin? Or is this something that happened that we just didn't have cameras on before? Like, talk to me about it. What is the realism that that's in there? So that's a, that's a somewhat controversial statement, I know, but I think it's important for us to make sure that we get the whole picture is to not just automatically say, I'm not reading that. That's part of the cancel culture that I think leads to more disinformation than anything. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I am also sitting here thinking 
um, you must have a really rough career in media, man. <laughs> like <laughs> you don't. You, <laughs> people, people generally speaking, don't call talk radio to say, "Hey, great idea." No, I, I know. I've been in the studio yeah. with you. It's, yeah. it's really, really brutal. You, <laughs> anybody who's uh, been in a journalism program, a social science humanities program, the hard sciences, you don't have the luxury of not looking at all the perspectives. Mm -hmm. When you look at data, you can't look at the data you like. That's called right. confirmation right. bias. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's not good. You have to look at everything. You don't have the luxury of ignoring things because it makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So to your compliment, my friend, <laughs> you have to look at what's being said in Russia. You don't yeah. have to agree with it. Just try to index it and comprehend I, I, it so that you can actually have an informed opinion. I found it the most fascinating thing in the world. And, and, and I can remember this is, a, 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 and I want to be very, very careful in that I'm using this as an example of how people didn't like the information and attacked me. Um, but talking to um, a doctor who dealt with trying to rehabilitate pedophiles, convicted pedophiles. And I can remember some uh, people just outright hating me saying that I was a pedophile sympathizer. And, I, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I think it's very important that we understand psychologically what's going on. Because if I don't talk about that, then people just assume that a pedophile goes to jail, comes out of jail, and is now walking the street, which is not the truth at all, which is not the case. But let's be very clear, there's nothing more horrific than, than pedophilia, right? This is terrible. And so bringing it back to kind of this conversation, in my mind, it is very easy to demonize the Russian people because of the political decision that Vladimir Putin has made. I think it's very important for us to even look and say, what is the propaganda going on in Russia? Not even looking at the people who are uh, protesting in the streets. What is the average Joe in Russia being exposed to by way of a media message? What is the narrative there so that we can at least understand why some people may support Vladimir Putin? Kind of the same as, as here, it's important for me to read as many radical right-wing and radical left-wing sources, not because I agree with it, but because I look at it and I say, oh, I see. Okay, so if I had this bias going into this, I now have my, the term you just brought was perfect, that confirmation bias to now agree even more wholeheartedly with this and not agree with the, the other opinion, right? The hard part after you do all of this is that you have to think for yourself. Right. It's really, really tough to just have an opinion that isn't given to you. Everybody who listens to this show, and I love you so very much, knows this is why I can't stand populism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The opinion's given to those people, and then they run with it. When you look at a whole bunch of different sources of information, and you consider where it all comes from, you have the challenging thing to do as a human being, as a citizen of your country, a citizen of your community, and as a citizen of the globe, to make a decision mm -hmm. about what it is that you're looking at. It's our critical thinking, right? It doesn't, yeah. it, it's critical thinking, but it doesn't mean you have to have an answer. Mm -hmm. it, even if it is just enough to say, I don't know enough, I'm going to stay open. I'm going to continue learning and understanding. You become a committed human being to understanding history. As you know, in the show, our objective is not to find answers. We're interested in questions mm -hmm. because a lot of this is about attitude. If you can position yourself to stay open, even though you have the burden of, of 
potentially having to, to have an informed an opinion at a debate with your in-laws, it's okay. Everybody's dealing with this. I'm reading a fantastic book right now. Uh, Jonathan Rauch, I believe is the name, uh, The Constitution of Knowledge. And he talks about how the cancel culture is feeding extremists because they don't get a chance to have their opinion. Uh, he, he points to to the United States uh, electing Donald Trump as as one of that. People who wanted to voice their opinion were just told that topic is off limits. Don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we've lost our ability to have a good dialogue. And as such, when there's finally a powerful voice that says, I'll speak on your behalf, it's not the extremists who start to raise their fists saying, finally, it's usually the moderates who finally say, now that's interesting. I haven't heard that before. And uh, it's, I'll loan it to you later. You know, in your off time, you could do some reading. Um, but but I think I think that's in this, in this terrible situation that's happening, how important having uh, what, we, what we have seen and, and again coming back, circling back to what Minister Freeland had said is that our rules-based diplomacy um, has fallen apart. We need to bring back dialogue. We need to bring back discussions and you don't have to agree. You, you really don't have to agree but we can be civil and have that conversation and be able to, you know, it's not like dad's now out of Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it's, boy, you know, things are awkward because we had those conversations. But those conversations are also necessary for understanding, right? So continue the conversations as difficult as they may happen to be. Do what you can to manage this information because there certainly is a lot of it. And, and please uh, leave the show with us feeling that if you want to make a difference, you can. Whether it is, you know, you making a decision about how to deal with noise or it's, you know, grabbing that extra toonie, turning it into something digital and donating to a cause that has uh, a direct connection to what's taking place in Ukraine right now. There is something that you can do despite the confusion, despite the distraction. Consider what difference you can make this weekend and we hope that we've been able to play a small role in helping you navigate that along the way. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind, don't hesitate to get in touch at WTNCast. Stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes and until next time, keep listening to the noise. <laughs>